There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. engine light on take the guesswork out of your check engine light with o'reilly veriscan it's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASC certified master technicians and if you need help we can recommend a shop for you ask for o'reilly veriscan today oh, 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 O'Reilly. auto parts You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. I'm Casey. And I'm Tyler. And you're listening to The Element Podcast. What is happening, everyone? My gracious, turkey season is over for a lot of people. Can you believe it? It's so sad, but I'm so happy because, I mean, deer season is coming up soon. Mm. And uh, we are ecstatic for the opportunity to enunciate all about deer mm. uh, all those fancy words that y'all love to hear uh tyler jones and eric gentry are here with us today i've uh, been doing some turkey hunting. we're going to talk about some of that and then we're also going to deep dive into the illinois buck truck story if you don't know the element has got videos on meat eater these days the buck truck is out and um, if you're hearing this right now the third episode is out. We'd really appreciate it if you go watch, go comment, and tell people what you think about the video. Be honest and uh, just uh, just uh, you know show your support, all that kind of stuff. Oh, by the way, speaking of meat eater, uh, it is the spring sale for First Light FHF gear, Phelps game calls, uh, all that good stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff that's at a pretty good dis- discount. Uh, I use that uh, chest harness from FHF a lot, and it is, uh, I think, 20 or 25% off right now, which is a pretty good deal. There's some Wick stuff, which is uh, acclaimed the best Merino out there, even from people who um, aren't, like, first-light diehards, you know. Uh, Tyler, you went on a sheep hunt in, like, 98 or something like that, and, and uh, you Just were advised, head, man. <laughs> advised to head. get some uh, Wick Merinos back then, From right? a guy who has tried all of it, man. Um, yeah, for sure. That's what I, I have, some old school stuff. It's still in the closet. Mm-hmm. Eric, you uh, you say one of the more underrated pieces of First Light is the Catalyst, correct? Mm-hmm. What do you like about it? Uh, I like the how durable it feels mm-hmm. on the outside, and it's good. If you really want to wear it for cold weather, you can layer stuff under it and be fine, or you can wear it in hot weather. Yeah, it's kind of, you're right, like the layering aspect of it 
it layers nicely because it's not like puffy or fluffy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's kind of it just goes smooth on. Um, I uh, I did wear that in New Mexico this past week a little bit, and uh, I do like it. Eric, by the way, is a like apparel and gear junkie. Mm-hmm. He likes that stuff. So if he if he recommends it, it's worth getting. That, <laughs> That's right. that right there is on sale as well. I think 20, 25 percent, something like that. It is. Um, There'll be a link in the podcast description uh, for y'all to go click if you want. It supports us. So when you mm-hmm. do go through that link, so if you if you like us, then we'd appreciate you clicking at least maybe doing some shopping. You don't have to buy now, but you probably should because uh, there's a decent chance this stuff won't be around at that price for much longer. Yeah, you've got a you've got a short window here. Mm-hmm. As Mark Drury likes to say. Yep. So, speaking <laughs> of, those boys are from Illinois, right? And we're going to talk a little bit, of, or my, not from Eric's like, well, they're actually from Northeast Central Illinois, which we don't actually claim them. But, uh, I actually didn't even know they were. That's why I was like, oh. Uh, I don't know if they're from. I think they're from Missouri, actually. I but thought they were. They got a bunch of land in Hunt, Illinois, a whole mm-hmm. lot. No, uh, they got hotels. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so, um, we're going to talk about the Illinois Buck Truck here in just a bit but mm, first we have wait. got to cover uh actually one of the more enjoyable things i have done in a while and that is hunt turkeys out west we um went turkey hunting last year with our buddies over at dead end uh mitchell and patrick and mark and all them guys and uh had a lot of fun doing that but i kind of personally at least uh, enjoyed the camaraderie more than I did this the scenery. The Midwest in the spring is just kind of a muddy mess of just plowed fields with nothing in them and stuff. And the turkeys are fun to shoot, and they're really cool to call them in and all that stuff, especially when you're with a good caller. But uh, I kind of was looking for something a little different, a little bit more. And uh, heading west to hunt Miriam's um, sounded like a lot of fun. Uh, people always talk about the parallels of elk hunting and turkey hunting, and I'm not a big fan of that. But when you go turkey hunting where the elk live, it does feel a lot more like that, especially the lung burn, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, so Tyler, I, and Eric all hunted some turkeys out west. Um, are we going to say what state or are we going to leave that? No, uh, I think we okay. tell them, man. All right, we're, we're hunting New Mexico. It ain't that big a secret. No, it ain't like it's easy if to If I was going to hunt Merriam's, that'd be the last state I'd hunt if I didn't live in Texas, I think. New Mexico? Yeah. Really? I just, yeah, I think if I live somewhere else where, mm. like, because I live I close to New Mexico, then I it's easy yeah. to go there. But, like, I would think hunting, hunting them in Montana and Wyoming and stuff Wyoming would be way is, easier. is the place if you want to go kill a Miriam's, like it seems. Yeah. Like, that's the place to do it. Everybody but. I know that hunts them up in those two states, just smoke them. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. In fact, our buddy Parker, we were just on his podcast the other day, and uh, he's headed to Montana. I think he got there today. To go hunt Miriam's. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a thing that people travel to go do. And Dude, it's I feel fun. like I should stand up when we podcast. Do you? Like a Pat McAfee <laughs> kind of thing. You know what I mean? Doesn't he stand up when he podcasts? I don't know. Yeah. I think I should do that. I'm going to start doing that. Maybe not yet, but soon. Yeah. I've been thinking about the standing up thing in general just for the uh, the caloric thing. Yeah. I'd come over here and, and sit down all day. Not colonic? No. Not <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about the smell of his, his colon the other day. Um, <laughs> Who, Pat you McAfee's? Know? No, not Pat McAfee's. There's a, it's, I guess it's me and Greg. There's like a, a Twitter account I follow that's um, – it's you're going to do the stand I thing. Like I it, feel actually. like you're about to I really like this a lot. <laughs> I, I need a I need a I need a something to set this drink on. My, I, 
uh, currently for your standing height, it's just a weird height. No, I'm just that's what I'm facing away from you. <laughs> but still, probably weird for you though. Smelling the colon. Uh, so there's a uh, there's a Twitter account I follow called um, what's it called? It's called like Internet Hall of Fame, and uh, there's this post from like 2008. Of a girl who was talking about her boyfriend, and she said, I just love the smell of his colon, talking about oh, his no, cologne. No. And it's just, every time I see it, it makes me laugh so hard. It's just a really funny bathroom humor, you know, which is great for uh, my maturity level. Um, <laughs> oh, well, anyways, when you're trying to smell colons and you're up real high in the, in the mountains, it's hard to smell them. That's where we've been. That's my yep. transition is is to that. So Good, the man. air's thin up there. Yep. Uh, the heavier air tends to go into the valleys. Yeah. Yeah. Eric has been hunting a place that uh, you had to get a limited permit draw for. Yeah. Um, it's a place that made you hunt with a bow, which Eric has a little experience hunting turkeys with a bow, mm-hmm. you could say. Um, and uh, not a lot, right? But uh, he, uh, mm-hmm. he uh, comes from a land that's not down under. But they still don't like the firearms there. So, Eric. It's um, very close to where Santa Claus lives. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Eric. Uh, it's kind of a made up world, you know. It's yeah. a. Just make your own rules. <laughs> Everything seems good on yes. the outside, but there's a lot of just... And then all those rules just radiate out from there, and everybody's like, oh, maybe we should try this. And we're like, ah, maybe you shouldn't turn around and go back where you're from. Uh, so um, you we we actually did a little bit of bow hunting turkeys with you a f- few years back, mm-hmm. and uh, we didn't have a lot of success, but saw some birds and had fun doing it. And uh, you thought that you'd go out and try your hand at it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric? What is your one-liner about bow hunting turkeys? My one-liner. Dad, mm-hmm. he's only giving you one line. Don't I'll do give him more. More, don't do it. I like <laughs> it. I'll give him more. But. That was a three-worder, dude. <laughs> That's, right. That's a one-liner, though, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Why, why would you say that a person shouldn't bow hunt turkeys? It's just difficult. Yeah. I mean, if you if to get them into range, like, at that point, just it's better to have a gun, I feel like, because getting drawn is the, the worst part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And... Um, I can imagine that with a shotgun, pretty much if you hit the turkey, there's a good chance they die. Mm-hmm. But with a bow, it's probably not that way. Mm-hmm. Like, you just have to... Turkeys have vitals, as weird as it sounds, and if you don't hit those, you might have a hard time. Mm-hmm. And then they have fluffy feathers and all this and that. I ain't trying to be a preservationist or anything <laughs> here, but, like, there's a lot of turkeys getting hit by TV guys that they ain't find it, I feel I like. would imagine so. Same with deer, too. Yeah. So, but let's just, you know, let's not fool ourselves here. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a reason that they give out more archery tags, and archery has a longer season normally uh, across all mediums of of game, right? Because the likelihood of success is lower with archery gear than it is with um, firearms. Mm -hmm. And now there will be a lot of archery people who – like you're like oh it's not really true well it is true maybe not in your hands hypothetical person but in general the generalization is that point shotgun go bang turkey die right dude so, it ain't better <laughs> oh it's, it's i fun. love it dude it's fun man it's, the it's shotgun cool. thing is like i just love it because i've talked about it before but it is an abrupt end to a cool moment mm-hmm. as opposed to when you shoot that thing with a bow and he starts like running off you're like 
heart attack all of a sudden. Yeah. Instead you, of just enjoying that moment of him mm-hmm. strutting in mm-hmm. and like it just being over and just laughing and letting all this steam off, instead you just get more anxiety. Literal steam, off. right? Because like in the mornings when you shoot a shotgun, there's this weird thing that happens. <laughs> yeah. You talked about this, but yeah. it's something about the air you breathe in right after the shot uh, – Affects like is it gun smoke? No, it's it's something to do with that. Like you breathe in a hot blast of air or something off the gun, and then when you breathe out, your your breath fogs more. Yeah, for some reason, yeah. it's really cool. Yeah, there's all there's a video of me shooting some pigs that did mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Eric was filming, and like that's your first filming yeah, job. It yep. was man, good job. He killed it. Wild. Well, your first one with us. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun to to do that. Um, Eric. Tell us more about the struggles of your hunt. Man, between running into other hunters at the worst time and then having mule deer around me at the worst time, mm-hmm. like, I don't know if they like turkey calls or something, but every time we called a bird in, there was a mule deer n- near it. Eric, it's a weird thing that you observe that. Are they inquisitive? I've had two... Now, I have a turkey hunt a lot. If you if you were an element follower you know it's just not something we do a ton of tyler's shooting flies with the <laughs> bug of salt right now um smoke just <laughs> just vaporizing them suckers um and uh which has a tight pattern too by the way it's pretty nice yeah you uh, gotta judge the distance yeah that's right yep. um what was i talking about oh the deer ruining the hunt mm-hmm. um so one time in texas we had deer mess up a turkey hunt and one time in iowa we had deer mess up a turkey hunt mule deer uh no, those are gonna be whitetails. But just deer in general, it's kind of strange how I think it's a thing. I think deer mess up turkey hunts. Hmm. Uh, I think they. Uh, I would imagine they're used to turkeys enough that um, they're not real scared of them. Mm-hmm. And it's also like a. It's like a maybe a form of entertainment for them to see something and go check it out and just see what it's up to yeah. for whatever reason. It could be happen in Iowa too. Yeah, that's what I was talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, were you filming me that night? No, I don't Patrick think it was. was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like straight up, we had a gobbler coming and the deer like mess around and, and it's kind of – because turkeys know they're not the top dog in the woods, right? Mm-hmm. Even the gobblers know they're not the top dog when there's a bunch of jakes around. Like they just are just used to trying to get eaten. So like a big ungulate, even though it's, you know, a deer it's not going to eat them, they're still kind of weird about it, right? So mm-hmm. like – I don't know. They're just so instinctive that they they don't reason as to why they're scared of something or why this messes them up. They just know that, ah, this is a weird situation. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live to strut another day. Right. So um, were you doing the traditional, like, roost them and roast them out there? Or? Yeah, I mean, we were roosting a ton of birds every night, so that's basically what we were doing. And we were using a decoy for most of the time, but then – found out that certain situations it's probably not best to use a decoy and mm. we were in situations where we didn't think it was right to have it why is that what's the situation um, i think when there's a lot of trees or you know terrain a, a bird shows up and then all of a sudden sees a bird decoy it freaks them out a little bit mm-hmm. where like if it's in the open i think if they see it from further away they can get, warm up to it and maybe come in then this might be a thing for all animals. Tyler, you were hunting Texas public this year and had something kind of similar with deer happen. Do you remember? Mm-mm. Y'all, you were with Greg and had a big buck coming in, and there was some other deer around. 
I hunted with Greg this year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I did. Uh, yeah, I remember. I oh, remember you're with that. me now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Golly, dude. <laughs> slow this I was morning. Like, I need you to catch on. Otherwise, there's a lot of deer hunting that happened last year, and I'm slow this year. That's right. This morning, and That's this right. year too. Yeah. What What happened in that situation? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I I really have watched the video back and everything, and I think this is truly the case. This deer is coming in down basically this trail kind of in a into the wind uh but he's not able to win the two does that we have at like 20 yards and when he comes around this brush pile i mean it's an immediate reaction he like looks up and just boom and there's no pause or anything but it freaked him out because he just saw deer at like 30 yards 40 yards all of a sudden and it freaked him out and he like busted out and then stopped, and I guess kind of looked back a l- real briefly. I don't even know if he did look back or not. But I know once he started heading away, he just walked, but like not spooked. He mm-hmm. just—it's like he realized those were deer. But I still just am an old buck, and I'm just gonna go. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, That's like, not part of my plan. Yeah, I'm out of here. Exactly. It's mm-hmm. just a weird, you know, thing where like these, these animals are instinctual and they they re, they're reactive, you mm-hmm. know, and they and so. I don't think there's a ton of processing that goes on. It's more just instinct and react- yeah. reaction. Yeah, deer almost act a lot different than hunters. Whereas, like, we are, at least I'll speak for myself, as a hunter, I'm always trying to capitalize on the moment as good as I can. And I think that animals oftentimes are like, uh, I don't like that one little thing, so I'm just going to wait till tomorrow. Yeah. You know, because it's they live in Groundhog Day. Pretty much every day is the same. You know, they have seasons that change, but like November 6th is no better than November 7th to a whitetail buck. They're trying yeah. to, they're trying to uh, survive. Yeah. That literally and is everything. Procreate. But that's part of survival, yeah. right? Yeah, that's what I'm so, saying is like they're yeah. weighing out uh, within their survival. They're trying to weigh out food, pro- food water, shelter, and yeah. sex. That's what they're trying to yeah. do. And they're like, and they, they understand the slow game a lot better than than what well, I think we give them credit when for. When you've got multiple places you can drink water, multiple places you can eat food, mm-hmm. multiple does, mm-hmm. multiple doe uh, bedding areas, like uh, that, like you said, that versus survival is uh, is the only kind of deduction that they make. And they're just like, well, let's just go do this. Because, you know, at the end of the day, I don't get to eat, drink, or breed if I don't. Mm-hmm. survive so mm-hmm. i mean truly survival is is top you just alluded to one of my favorite conjugations in the english language which uh is a conjugation of the form uh well the word is deduce and deduction is that so i like the word deduce you know deduce <laughs> is like an onomatopoeia too is it yeah deduce like when you drop like a <laughs> big rock in the water <laughs> deduce <laughs> uh, so eric you figured out the decoy thing and uh, it seemed like after y'all deduced that, <laughs> uh, you you kind of were like up in the birds a little yeah. bit more. They were so we had one encounter with the decoy where uh, two, I think they were jakes. I don't. They may have been like really young toms. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But two jakes came in and they kind of locked up and didn't come all the way. And a tom came and uh, beat up on them, started fighting them, and they just never fully committed. So when we stopped using the decoy, that's where we realized they were coming in 
a little bit more because mm-hmm. they they didn't see decoy and they kept moving in closer because they knew they heard a hen there. How close were you setting the decoy up to yourself when you're having the decoy problems? Well, I thought I was setting it up at like 20, but every time I set it up and get set down, I was like, crap, that's only at 15 yards. I think that's good. Yeah. I think one thing I learned from from Mitchell Johnson was that, uh, dude, he'll set up decoys way closer than the shot range. Mm-hmm. I mean, whenever I shot my Iowa turkey, those decoys are like at 12 yards. Mm-hmm. And that turkey came right in and pecked on it. But the idea is – your turkey gets locked up on decoys, he's still in range if your decoys are at like 10, 12 yards. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you set it up to 20 or 30 yards, well, if your turkey's locked up, he's like at 60. And uh, you're talking about scrolling pin range at that. That's mm-hmm. pretty tough to hit a turkey, especially the bow stuff at that range, right? Mm. We also uh, dialed in like how we should set up on the terrain because with the decoy, a couple times we set up to where when the turkey came in, they were basically walking at us, and that wasn't good because they could Mm -hmm. see anything past the decoy. Mm -hmm. So we dialed it in to where all of our setups, like, they would come from, like, behind us or to the side of us, and we're seeing better encounters with that too. Mm -hmm. We were just watching some some footage of your hunt, and uh, before we get into, like, the encounter stuff too much, you're talking about setup there as an archery hunter. It's it seems to be different than just like a shotgunner, right? Because mm-hmm. as a shotgunner, you kind of just face straight on. You can pick up your gun, and shoot, or you have your gun propped up and shooting. Whereas with archery, you're thinking about your strong side. And shotguns, to an extent, you have a strong side and weak side, but it's just not as finicky as mm-hmm. archery, right? So mm-hmm. talk, talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, it's basically I'm left-handed, so I was looking for a lot of stuff out to my right. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one morning where we had a bird roosted, and he flew above us. Again, there's mule deer there, so I don't know if the mule deer <laughs> freaked him out when he was on the roost because he stayed up longer than any other bird that morning. Yeah. And he also may have seen me set out the decoy. We were that close, so that could have happened. But he oh. flew he flew above us, and so we knew his exact uh, where he was flying down. And mm-hmm. uh, it was that afternoon or the next afternoon we set up a blind like in his landing zone pretty much to set up for that. And he never came back in, unfortunately. Yeah. But there's the same where we set that up is where we had the encounter that you guys just watched. That's so tell me about that encounter. What happened there? Um, well that morning we were actually, since we didn't have that bird roosted, we went to another spot where we had birds roosted. We had a couple of them and we went in pitched black, like, just amp thinking we're about ready to kill and we get up close and then we see another hunter pull in the parking lot and we kind of sit there and watch and slowly see his headlamp go from smaller to bigger walking right at us you know Mm. and i flag him down he gets to us and i tell him hey we got birds here we're gonna you know set up here and he's like okay i'll i'll go over there and try to hunt another bird you know there's a bunch out here and instead he walks up pretty much where we were going to go and calls to our birds all morning oh, <laughs> and, come on, guy. and spooks both of them off the roost. We watch them fly completely down to the bottom. And then he, he was like walking around right under the roost calling all morning and then comes to us and he's like, do you see, see those birds uh, spook off? And we're like, yep, sure did. <laughs> so, so, so y'all went back and slid his tires? Or? <laughs> no, he, he left out and left us there, you know, with no more birds and, that's when, like, me and Michael heard 
uh, birds across on another ridge, which is where we were setting up most of the time. And we're like, well, let's just go back there and try to get on those birds. And so we rush over there and rush up to that spot we already had like built for that roost spot that we we're going to try to get one to land right in our laps. But uh, get over there, make a few calls. And the bird we're after is down on the bottom, and he responds. So we get set up, and he's just not working. And so I tell Michael, I'm going to go up the hill a little and call and try to pull him to us. So I go up the hill, call, come back, we sit down. And instead, we call a bird that's on our ridge, just uh, up the mountain a little bit. He's probably at, we are probably at like 8,300, and this bird's at like 9 around there. It's mm, hot country. And so he responds, and like <clears throat> he was far far when he first responded and so we just sit there and be quiet and like that's a thing we notice is like calling once you get a bird's attention to just shut up yeah and mm. they can't take it <laughs> take <laughs> gotta be so patient like i guess though 10 huh? yeah like 10 15 minutes goes by and then i see the bird just walking uh towards us and michael there he is and so he, that 10 15 minutes you don't know where this turkey is we're not even really worried about that bird because we're calling to the other one that's below us. But so let me rephrase the question: For ten or fifteen minutes, you're sitting there, don't know where a turkey is. And yeah, you're just basically, waiting. we know one's in the bottom, and that's about it. Really. Man, that's hard for me to do. <laughs> I, I know it works, and I probably need to because I mean I've seen it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's just hard for me if I can't hear a bird. It's he just, can't take it. I can't do. I want to be moving around and uh, and getting on them. But I feel like I'm the same way, little. Like yeah. I just get impatient, <laughs> and like I tell Michael, like I'm gonna call, and I feel like sometimes he he like gives me a look, like. Uh, I mean, well, turkeys <laughs> are the worst thing to hunt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, dude. <laughs> Michael didn't even smile, dude. <laughs> There's some worse things. Uh, I only said that for we, Michael. <laughs> we haven't hunted bears or antelope or moose yet, dude. I'm telling you. You think waiting on turkeys hard? No, I was the way clay. I know you're doing messing with him, but the way clay Newcomb hunts moose up there. Yeah, it's bad. That's bad. I know. I wanted to shoot a moose until I heard about that story, man. Yeah, but uh, so, anyways, continue with your encounter there. Sorry. No, you're good. Uh, That's my fault. Seeing the turkey above us, and like, man, when you see these turkeys, like you just see the white in their feathers, and it sticks out. Mm -hmm. It's something about the Merriams. They just like. They go with the land really well. I don't know how to explain it, but they just look cool in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And they stick out really well. And he starts working down gobbles, and uh, he stands there for a long time because he, he's trying to check out the area, you know, mm-hmm. try to find that hen that he heard. And he just stands there, stands there. The one that we're, we actually came to uh, hunt is gobbling in the bottom. And so he's gobbling back at that one and starts working towards that bird down in the bottom. And uh, I turn and gave a few calls to try to bring him back, and it worked. And he just came full strut in and, like, just start <clears throat> starts working towards us perfectly. And gets to – I ranged a tree at, like, 34 and a half, and he gets to about that spot and takes a couple steps closer, and he's just standing there full strut looking around. It's a really long snood, and it's just <laughs> f- flopping around everywhere. And uh, Michael calls them noodles. Yep, I like it. Slurp that like thing. And then also we had a mule deer come in, like within ten yards of Michael, just on the other side of him. And the turkey's just looking at this mule deer, freaking out from looking at us. And he starts getting weird. He couldn't get drawn. No, he should have. <laughs> 
(laughs) (laughs) So the turkey starts getting weird. He's strutting and like turns around. And that's like my one time I was waiting for him to do that to draw. And I draw, I put it right on his middle of his body. And that's probably where I messed up. I should have picked a little better spot. Uh, put my 30 yard right on the middle of his body and shot and just went a little high. I think he jumped it just a little bit, but I don't think it was enough to do a lot, but it did something. But if I aimed a little lower and to the right, it would have been money. Mm-hmm. So. Man, close. Mm-hmm. Targeting's hard, especially yeah. with bows, man. Mm-hmm. But I'm glad you had fun. I'm glad you all had so many encounters. I know it kind of stunk with the pressure and just that kind of stuff with the weather and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. yeah. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. Now, this, this is a good innovation here, and it solves a real problem, okay? So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, like a griddle on your grill. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. There's no use of coatings, okay? You can use metal tools to flip, press, and scrape without worry. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. Now, everything, the problem with griddles, everything rusts. No one talks about how bad everything rusts. Uh, the reason they don't because they couldn't fix it until now. Well, Weber's new rust-resistant technology, your Weber grill will last for years. When used, the carbon steel griddle hardens and bonds the surface, reducing the ability for moisture to collect and rust to form. With the new Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System, you can keep cooking and cleaning supplies handy, carry food and condiments from the kitchen to the griddle, and even convert the side table into a prep station. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. This episode is brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. I use the O'Reilly by me. It's right in downtown where I live. And the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced? Brake light fixed? Quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop to get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen 
to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. And then y'all came and met us. It was pretty, uh, yeah. we had fun as well. You know, we were like, well, if Eric and Michael are going to be out there, we're going to go out and, uh, you know, ha- after their hunt, have them meet us. We're going to go do some shotgun hunting and, and roll them, right? We're just going to kill a bunch roll of turkeys them. since, uh, you know, we got guns, um, which uh, is kind of tongue-in-cheek, of course, <laughs> because we aren't turkey hunters, man. We're just trying to learn this stuff and, and some of the points Eric was making is some of the stuff that we found as well. We went out to a pretty pressured area, and uh, there was not a lot of talking going on. But I think the first evening we did hoot up a bird or two. But we we covered a bunch of ground and didn't find very many turkeys, it seemed. Um, there were, were y'all turkeys. Hooting? Is that how y'all are roosting birds, by hooting them? Yep. Yeah. Found the louder like, we were, uh, the better. mouth hooting? Yeah, we tried our call, but I don't know if it wasn't loud enough. Probably Shoot. that KC was using a call that was hitting the right frequencies. <laughs> was that the is that the Harrison Hooter, the Phelps one? Yeah, but for some reason yours looks different than mine. Now I have a I have the plastic one. You have a wood one, and the plastic one's a lot louder. You can change. It's kind of like an elk call where you can change the baffles and how much back pressure you're getting. I have mine opened up all the way, mm. and uh, it, we noticed something too. One of the things we learned. And y'all think y'all talked about the same deal is having a bunch of notes in your owl hooter doesn't do you a lot of good. Mm-hmm. Just going or whatever is is the way to do it. Mm-hmm. That way you can yeah. hear the bird answering you. Because mm-hmm. if you go, <laughs> the, and Monkey then, man, and then like all of a sudden you hear, I can't hear the gobble because there, there's you're a couple things. There's a couple things to think about here, right? First of all, people like to hear themselves. Second of all, people like this. this so. I think about this in relation to camo, mm-hmm. where people like to think that, uh, like, for instance, the camo, a lot of times, like, when I was, I remember when I was growing up, we were going dove hunting, and I was like, why don't, I told my dad, I was like, why don't, why don't, any, why doesn't anybody make a sunflower pattern camo? And he's like, well, dudes wouldn't wear it. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, nobody's going to buy sunflower camo to wear out into the, so, you know, and then, uh, we we grew up bass fishing a lot, and we always talked. I was used to look through all the Bass Pro magazines, you know, and f- look at all the baits. There's some cool colors. Mm-hmm. It's like them colors are just there to sell the dudes. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it's there's some things that you have to you have to like understand about yourself as a hunter is that sometimes you need to like think about what or all the time really you need to think about like what is logical in this situation not what do i like the best right what Mm -hmm. does what helps me kill the bird and in this situation just like you know tequila sunrise color and a bass worm probably ain't no better than a green pumpkin you Mm -hmm. know what i mean yeah um it's it's like because we we encountered this uh when eric and i were roosting a bird on this trip where uh, you were doing like a two-note screech owl, right? Try. Which is kind of, can you do a quiet version of that or not? Mm, something like, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so you've heard, you've heard the owl if you've been out in the woods before, and it's that kind of a thing, but real loud, and Eric can do it well. Mm. Um, Eric, actually, your calling was really, really good on this trip, man. You've gotten a lot better. Um, but 
The call him Kiki Gentry. That's it, man. <laughs> Old Gentry Kiki. Uh, but so we we he did this. He was going to do this two note screech owl thing, which has a pause in the middle. He does the first note. This was a place that we had we had roosted a bird the first night that you were talking about, mm-hmm. and then not until like the end of the trip did we go back there and were able to roost one. Me and Eric are there. He hits that first note, uh, and he's like going into his second note, and you hear a gobble. And he, it was like so close to when he hits the second note that he actually like vocalizes that second note just for a split second and realizes it registers there, there was a gobble. So he cuts it off. And I was like, he goes, I just heard a gobble. I was like, me too. I'm pretty sure. And so I was like, all right, try just one note of the screech now. He hits that one note and that thing just popped off again. We were like, all right, dude. So, you know, it really is. And, uh, ends up there, uh, we had we went in the next morning, or uh, I guess you went in the next morning mm-hmm. um, with an attempt to make an attempt at it. I guess it was you and Michael, right? Yeah. Yep. And so, um, and that bird was still in there, like just because we didn't make a full screech owl noise, didn't spook him off the roost. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? He was yeah. still hanging out in the same spot, mm-hmm. and just ended up uh, flying well way out past y'all. The uh, things that a turkey will shot gobble off of. Yeah, is, it, in the evenings especially, they don't want like to. Doesn't matter. Go to moving their roost more than a couple no. yards in, in the, the morning. I don't think you want to go underneath the turkey and go <coughs> with a big old coyote howl. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. they're going to freak out. Yeah, mm-hmm. but in the evenings, it don't matter. Yeah, they're in their safe place, and we saw that we we had some birds roosted that we were feeling real good about. Well, okay, we found the same group of birds the day before. First day of our hunt. Mm-hmm. Only place we found gobbles. Tyler and I and Greg were there. These two guys, Michael and Eric, were coming in uh, from their hunt. And uh, we went in that morning, set up the decoy, did the thing, because we don't know how to turkey hunt. Uh, <laughs> we set up like 150 yards from the roost, and we're just going to try to call them over. Well, those birds had hens, and they left. We tried to chase them. Well, ends up, we end up calling them back. We're trying to scramble around and get set up, and we get seen. Gobble stop, no turkeys. We're assuming we get seen. Like, okay, Duke. So uh, <laughs> that day's over because we pretty close. much about 9 a.m., dude, we were 60. It's one of those things where, like, we got surprised. Yep. Like, all of a sudden, we're like, hey, should we do it? And it's like, oh, my gosh, hit the dirt, you know? And yeah. so um, we hit the dirt and got seen while hitting the dirt. And uh, then we heard another gobble up on a ridge, so we made a move on him. Got close to that bird. Got surprised again. again. We thought the bird was like 300 yards away. I let out a four yelp just to try getting to gobble, and he gobbles at like 60 yards. Freak out. Hit the dirt. Taller and Greg get the measles. Um, yep. I'm pretty comfortable. We saw him, though. We, see, we did see him, and he was following a hen, and so we didn't spook him. And uh, We made some assumptions yes, at that point, and too. And found like an area that we're like, hmm, interesting. And we, we made these assumptions that – these hens were taking these gobblers away. Mm-hmm. They don't like the other hens. Yeah. Yeah. And so that helped us out the next morning. Mm-hmm. We essentially were able to go in the next morning. We roosted birds in that area again that night. Like you were saying, at about 9 o'clock, I mean, it was just futile pretty much. Sun's up. Wind's blowing. Yeah. Mountains, this is the way it goes in the mountains. Uh, it's cool and still almost every morning, no matter what the weatherman says. And then... As the thermals heat up, 
the wind starts moving around because uh, the temperature change. And then by about nine, you get a decent amount of wind, and it lasts till sundown. And then all of a sudden, it's dead quiet, and you can hear stuff late in the evening. Mm-hmm. Uh, so throughout the midday, it's almost impossible to find birds. We did not have a single good turkey thing happened on the whole trip uh, from about 9 a.m. through the rest of the day. Yeah. So it was tough. But we went back there that evening, assuming that that bird would still possibly be around because we didn't spook him. And we get out of the vehicle. Michael and Eric are with us. Michael <laughs> drops a water bottle. <laughs> and we're like far from these birds. Yeah, and the water bottle was empty. It wasn't like a loud noise, no. really. And then we walk up. We're going to kind of pinpoint these birds. And I have a condition that our friend Gary likes to call the altitudes. Mm. <laughs> to where whenever I get at a higher elevation, all of a sudden I'm a, I become very gaseous. And as grown men do, it's a fun thing to laugh about when another man talks. <laughs> Such I, a grown man thing to uh, do. And I said, hey, y'all, watch this. And I get all perched up on the, dude, the side of this ledge. No way this actually worked, man. It worked. You were oh there. Oh, my gosh, dude. And I let one rip, and the turkey shot gobbled off of it. And it was one of my finer moments of woodsmanship in my life. Holy oh, dude. And we didn't get it on film because we're dumb. I'm not uh, – they're dumb, not me, because I was doing the fart man. It worked, but no, I'm kidding. That uh, bird but, was fired up. Yeah, dude, he was. And that's the, that's the actual point, like – he was. He would have shot gobble off anything mm-hmm. at that point in time, mm-hmm. uh, and um, so we were feeling pretty good about yeah. our opportunity for the next morning. And pairing that with the concept that um, if he has hens, that the hens are going to take him the other direction, and um, I can work a turkey diaphragm call. Okay, Eric's pretty good at it. Uh, Tyler <clears throat> is not a fan of diaphragms in general, so our thought was going to be that I was going to be aggressive and move in close on the birds. Y'all were going to stay off just a little bit and be quiet, and either way, one of us was going to get an opportunity at the bird. And we also weren't, at this point, we weren't 100% sure of our theory. Uh-huh. We just thought we had seen this happen. So yes. we were like, okay, these, these hens might be taking these gobs away. So well, one of the things that uh, I feel like brings us success is that we formulate a theory quickly and put it to the test quickly. Yeah. We don't sit back three or four days and make sure this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, there's a way for that to bite you in the butt for sure, but I think that uh, the uh, the good outcome falls in our favor more often than not whenever we're just quick to move. You know, good. another thing, man, you're just so good at this stuff, dude. Like, Thanks, man. The one thing that you did that you, you, is you watched videos – from mountain hunting turkeys mm-hmm. and we watched them while we were up there we watched them before we left and um you just like pick stuff up like nobody else dude and just see stuff that i'm like not even paying attention to and you go um at some point you were like man i don't think these turkeys fly downhill hardly ever and so we realized <clears throat> pretty quickly uh, and, and even from the morning before when we set up on those birds, mm-hmm. that they are when they fly down, they're flying down uh, either at the same level. So, like, if you're, if you're, like, say the bird's on the side of a ridge, it's going to fly down on that exact same topo line or higher, pretty much. Not exclusively. Not but, always, but, but, I mean, most high of the time, percent of the time. Unless right? there's a real good reason to do something else. <clears throat> yeah. So, that helped us with the game plan going in, too, mm-hmm. because 
<clears throat> these birds could have flown downhill. There was places for them to land downhill of where they were at. But uh, we were like, oh, if they're more, more than likely going to land this top line or up, then let's get, like, even with them and surround them and hopefully get shots uphill. And if you can get shots uphill, then we stand a decent chance here, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we thought we'll get on opposite sides. And if he goes straight uphill or, or you know, maybe straight downhill, we that's our, you know, we may not get him. Outside of that, he's potentially, you know, going to fly on some angle towards one of us. Mm-hmm. And so he's either going to – they're either going to come at you because you're calling or they're going to go away from you. And if they go away from you, I stand a good chance. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought we weren't – we were going to be a little less aggressive, but we're going to still be pretty close. And Michael and I start kind of going up this mountain and – uh, and hearing him, he's gobbling. It's, he's starting. It's starting to get loud. We got in there plenty early, which was one of the. Was more, this Michael's Mountain? This is. It's similar <laughs> size wise, <laughs> but it's. Uh, it's actually not in makeup. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> constituted differently. Huh? <laughs> yeah. So we're heading up this mountain, and um, all of a sudden, like we hear a gobble when we're Spikes down there. Peak. We get up there <laughs> close to Spikes Peak. And we uh, all of a sudden he hammers, and I'm like, "Dad, gummit, he's close." And because I had I had just measured from the pin that I put on him the night before, and I was like, "We're at 105 right now, according to my 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 measurement." Well, he hammers, and I'm like, "Dude, he's inside of 100. Has to be right now." So we end up kind of getting a little bit closer than we wanted to. And we stood there for a while. Wind started dying all of a sudden uh, as it started getting light. And so I was like, when it gusts, we're going to move up to that tree right there, like 10 yards, you know. Well, we find, I mean, it took like 10 or 15 minutes. We finally get moved up to this tree, and we set up on both sides of it. And we're sitting there still pretty dark. He's hammering every once in a while. I'm like, dude, he's pretty, pretty close, you know. All of a sudden, it gets light enough that I see something move up in the trees, and I'm like, dude, there's a bird, there's a turkey in that tree at like 50 yards, dude. And, uh, he takes him a second. He's on the other side of the tree from me. He he sees it finally. And it turns out, as it's getting lighter, you can see it gobbling. And it is the gobbler in this in this pine tree, you know. And I was like, that's cool. So we watch him, film him for a while. And um, I'm like, man, this who knows? This could go either way. I can hear you calling every once in a while, but it sounds like you're pretty good distance. Turns out you were even closer than we were. And we're sitting there, and things are getting pretty light. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I start, I'm like looking at my, my phone. I'm like, man, it's, it's time, you know, like getting time. So I put my, we, we kind of had, um, timed fly down from the day before. Yeah. At 602 on the dot. And like, it literally, anytime I heard turkeys fly down on this trip, it was six o'clock to 605. Yeah. So like, it was very specific, (laughs) which is actually like almost 30 minutes after shooting line. Mm -hmm. Uh, they stayed in the roost for a while, which is good because, yeah, shooting light is still real dark. Oh in the yeah, mountains. for sure. Yeah, and dude, so as it started getting like within after about maybe five or ten minutes after shooting light started, I get my I got my hand my finger on the safety mm-hmm. like ready to rock, you know, and uh, I'm just holding it just like this, being so still because that gob is just right there, <laughs> and I can see him pretty good, but I can't quite get the perspective. It's one of those instances where there's there is brushing between you and him, so I don't know exactly how far he is, but we've got a good opening like. It looks like 15 yards from him mm-hmm. that he could just pitch down in. That's just barely, maybe slightly uphill, but almost straight, you know, on the top of the line. And we're sitting there, and uh, he he turns around on the tree and like a 180 and starts gobbling back up at y'all. And I was like, well, it ain't good for us, but might be good for them. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a second. He turns back around, and I'm like, man, he's kind of getting, kind of getting the itch, you know. 
all of a sudden I hear this, and it's not him. A hen comes flying from nowhere. (laughs) I didn't even know there was a hen involved, you know. And she comes flying around the corner of this brush, and she's like a jet plane coming right at us, dude. <laughs> I'm talking freaked us out, dude. She's just – she's coming. And I'm like – I'm thinking immediately, I'm like, this is perfect. She just keeps coming, dude. Literally lands at like 15 steps or less probably. I mean, she lands right in our face and and immediately, I guess, sees us. We didn't move an, an inch, but she – you know, they just see stuff. Yeah, Y'all and, were somewhat – in. Not like in the open. Yeah, we didn't brush around. We were up against a tree, you yeah. know. She sees something weird. So she starts kind of high-necking. Well, before she even lands, or about the time she lands, that gob comes down right after. I mean, I think it was before she landed. He's coming. And so she lands, and she gets weird, and she starts to walk the other way slowly. And the gob lands like a few yards behind her. Probably He probably lands about 35 from us, I think. And I'm just like... You know, I, I'm telling Michael, he's like strutting, you know, or half strut, kind of doing some weird stuff. Head's kind of doing some weird stuff. I tell Michael to give him a call, you know, because I want him to stretch his neck out a little bit. So he calls to him. He doesn't react at all. And I think we figured out that there was another bird flying down. There was. So was from my perspective, it. I can see all this going on. <laughs> and Tyler and Michael have been quiet all morning, so I don't know where they're at exactly. I thought that y'all were further away because y'all had talked about being like 120 yards from the birds or something, and uh, which is – I'm glad you got to where you were because it went well. Um, but, like, I'm just thinking that y'all are nowhere around. I'm be calling these turkeys, and they flew down the opposite direction from me. I'm like, well, this is sad. But all morning – and this is where things got – we got real weird trying to figure out what all was going on because y'all didn't know the third bird was around. Mm-hmm. All morning, I was hearing two different gobblers from where I was sitting. I was hearing one close, and I was like, I had my binos out trying to see him in that tree, and I could hear and see y'all's once it got light enough down there. So what we think was going on is hen hits the ground, gobbler hits the ground, and then a turkey, probably a gobbler from our tree, like at 35 yards, leaves. And that's why your gobbler is like looking at the weird the head thing. Yeah. He's like looking up in the air and <clears throat> he didn't pay attention to Michael at all on the call. And so I was like, well, I mean, his head, he's not full strut. So I was like, you ready? He's like, yep. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm shooting him. So I shoot and he just drops straight down. Dude. Oh, dude. I, w- I could see the whole thing. I couldn't see y'all, but those hint, those turkeys hit the ground and it was like, it went from like, oh man, to I heard that yelp and I was like, they're on those birds. And then, boom, there's a turkey laying on the ground. It's so cool. Yeah. I see all that from like 100 yards up the hill from where we were. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's cool. cool. He, he literally did not flop until about probably 90 seconds later when I decided to kind of walk over to him. And, I mean, I, I like as soon as I shot, I ran like halfway, and he didn't stop flop. It didn't start flopping at all. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I looked over at Michael and I gave him the fist bump and or pump and everything, you know, and just like excited thing going on. I was shaking, dude. It was <laughs> awesome. And then uh, I start to walk over him at, or over to it after a second. Once Michael catches up with me, and then this sucker starts flopping. I thought I'd stop the flop. I literally say it on video. I stopped the flop, you know. He starts flopping, and he just carries downhill, and I'm, like, following him. Like, I don't really want to shoot him again because, I mean, it's just, like, nerves or whatever. So I'm just following him down the hill the whole time, just making sure he doesn't get up, you know. But he's flopping way down the hill, like, probably end up flopping, like, 60 yards downhill, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
And we got over there, and I mean, he had a he had a good beard. Oh, hold on. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a bad beard at all. So as but I'm walking to him in New Mexico, yeah, the way they regulate turkeys is you have to shoot a bearded turkey. Uh huh. That's that they don't say gobbler hen has to have a visible beard. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm walking over to him, and um, I had seen the beard. And when I get close to him as he's flopping, I see the beard again. You know, I'm like, oh, it's good. You know, whatever. Well, um, when y'all finally come over and meet us, and I, I go to show y'all the bird and lift him up and everything, um, we all walk up on him. And I start, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody said, where's the beard or whatever. So I start looking around. Dude, I dig in the feathers. We got it on video for 45 seconds before I find the beard. I dig in them. I can't find them. I dig in them some more. I lift him up by his feet. The beard should flop out, right? It don't. Nope. There ain't a beard on this thing, dude. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, what out. is going on? Uh, Greg's like trying to, he's like, should I film this or not? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so finally, like I'm just sitting there like spinning around and digging through the feathers and it finally flops out. And I was like, goodness. And it's a pretty, I mean, it's like a probably six or seven inch beard. It's, mm. a, it's a nice, Merriam's they say don't get super long beards or spurs. And he and he didn't have big spurs either, but I think that that's a rock thing more than anything. Yeah, because it looks like his spurs are like all chipped up and stuff. There's like skin layers like peeled back. And I'm guessing they just, you know, encounter a lot of rocks. They probably hopping over stuff all the time or whatever. So, but it was it was really cool. You know, now I'm one away from the slam. You are. You got to go Spooky. next year and get on that. Thing. I know, dude. So um, <laughs> that hunt pretty much was uh, uneventful from there on. We chased some birds around a little bit, but I did not kill a turkey on the trip, which I was happy with. I mean, it was a lot of fun going and doing the thing. I want to do that a lot. I don't know if we'll go back there or where. We might look for happier hunting grounds, but it was cool either way. But one of the fun things about that is that we actually cooked some of that turkey. Now, we don't do the old, you know, meat-eater deal too much, you know, of like um, – just going wild about making sure we cook everything like the night we kill it or whatever, you know, because we're going to eat it with our families throughout the year. Yeah. It's just practical. But we were there for a few more days, and the house we were staying at had a crock pot. By the way, if you're not capitalizing mm-hmm. on Airbnb's Don't be telling buddies, them this. Don't be telling them this. <laughs> it's the way to go because it is way cheaper than a, than a motel, and the accommodations well, are way better. It is it is for us. Well, I think for if you're going to do it with, butter, with buddies. Yeah. If, you, you know, like – Butters? Yeah, butters. <laughs> <laughs> That's a okay, Colorado Airbnb. Um, cow. So uh, if, you, if you're going to hunt with three or four dudes, like it's, yeah. it's very efficient. Now, if you're by yourself, um, you know, you might be able to find a, a fairly inexpensive motel or whatever. But for a bunch of dudes, it works out pretty good. Mm. Um, but the point is that we're going to – we had the ability to cook, had a crock pot, bought us some green chilies, mm-hmm. and made up some stuff and made us a good – Pretty much turkey green stew over uh, rice and ate it, and it fueled us to climb the mountains for a few days. Mm-hmm. It was pretty fun. But yep. that's pretty much the extent of, of our turkey hunt. Uh, ended at that. Um, there was some other excitement that we will probably tell you about later that involved uh, the Wapitis. Um, yeah. But uh, that's that's for another time, I suppose. Yeah, we'll probably post about that on social. Yeah. It's a pretty pretty crazy thing that happened for sure. Yeah. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you oughta, 
you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant Griddle. Now, uh, this, this is a good innovation here, and it solves a real problem, okay? So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools, like a griddle on your grill. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. There's no use of coatings, okay? You can use metal tools to flip, press, and scrape without worry. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. Now, everything, the problem with griddles, everything rusts. No one talks about how bad everything rusts. Uh, the reason they don't is because they couldn't fix it until now. Well, Weber's new rust-resistant technology, your Weber grill will last for years. When used, the carbon steel griddle hardens and bonds the surface, reducing the ability for moisture to collect and rust to form. With the new Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System, you can keep cooking and cleaning supplies handy, carry food and condiments from the kitchen to the griddle, and even convert the side table into a prep station. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. This episode is brought to you in part by O'Reilly Auto Parts, who are in the business of keeping your car on the road and also keeping you happy. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. I use the O'Reilly by me. It's right in downtown where I live. And the team there is super knowledgeable. When you got questions, they're happy to help you out. It's a great store to go into. The team at O'Reilly Auto Parts, they can test your battery for free in or out of your car. And don't ignore your check engine light. Ask for O'Reilly Veriscan today, a free diagnostic service exclusively at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Need your windshield wipers replaced? Brake light fixed? Quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop to get some help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in the store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'Reilly Auto, O-R-E-I-L-L-Y, O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild. But searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today. Because trust me, there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth. But yeah, so... Turkeys are awesome this year. It's short-lived. I got to hunt for one week. I have not even fished this year either. So um, this has been a, <clears throat> a year of editing. And what I've been editing in the spring is the Buck Truck Series. And Illinois is is uh, what is what is now available for you to watch on wow. the Eater channel. Wow. Um, let me just tell you this. My favorite part probably in this whole video is... <laughs> The man of Illinois, right? Uh, let's see. Illinois' finest 
if I could say it. Eric Gentry mm-hmm. battling it out royally with our young and confident Michael J. Michael Stoll <laughs> in a basketball game somewhere near Chi Town. And you'll just have to watch it to see who, who wins. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a bit of just pure conquering. That happens, I think. Youth versus wisdom. We'll see which one wins That's that. That's right, man. I mean, you're thinking basketball youth all day, right? Yeah. But, man. you know, old John Morant's not very wise right now, it doesn't <laughs> seem. So, <clears throat> I mean, he can be as youthful and great as he wants, but uh, he may not be on the court much more. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, there's the the as we've done in the past, we'll do a, a smaller version of this, but uh, we haven't spent a whole lot of time in Illinois. We spent a couple of – we've done some scouting trips. Uh, I hunted there in 2020, shot one of the biggest deer I've ever shot, big, huge eight-point, um, and that was over a scrape about early October 20s. And so, like, in the past, what we've seen as being kind of something that was uh, prominent there is that Illinois is an OTC big buck state, so you're going to see some pressure around. Um, and if you're hunting like public lands, you're, you're still, you're going to see that. And that's one thing that we definitely dealt with. That's why, I mean, there was a lot of pressure in October, early or late October, even, you know, October 22nd, there was dudes around when I was hunting there. So, uh, one way we were going to kind of circumvent that this time around was to be hunting some private land that was really kind of exclusive and hard to get permission on. But our buddy Isaac Smith from Method Archery helped us out, got us in on this place that hasn't been... Uh, gun hunted in like 60 years it's a big old farm uh tree farm and we got to go up there this summer do a little scouting put some cameras out uh, our uh friend market Moultrie mobile sent us some cameras to use and that was super helpful we got to kind of see where some bucks were located in the end it actually helped us a lot but starting out we didn't know how much it was going to help us mm-hmm. uh, we kind of get we get we we do this whole thing we the landowner, we meet the landowner, we help them build a horse barn. Like there's some cool stuff going on that we're, we're trying to make sure that we're good on this place. Right. We may want to hunt this place for a long time. Cause it could literally be the best deer hunting of our life. I mean, you're, we're close to Wisconsin, which is just, you know, overall Boone and Crockett records, number one, I believe in the, in the U S. So, I mean, just crazy good area and a place that's hardly hunted uh, big, big tree farm. So we're like super excited. We put the work in, we get back on the way, uh, and we find out that we, there are some people that have archery hunted this place and they're a little more serious than we thought they were about it. And they don't like the fact that we're there. So ends up, we're getting into some, some struggles there with like, where can we hunt? It's a weird deal because, uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to even explain. We have, rightfully gained permission mm-hmm. to hunt this place and uh these other people have also rightfully gained permission to hunt this place where it gets kind of weird is that um they don't want us there uh not all of them I mean, there's a one of the guys there he's pretty nice and helped us out some uh but he's kind of like the the guy who's like the in-between guy and then the landowner's just like hey you know, y'all just hunt. It's fine. Yeah. And which th- I'm so thankful that they let us hunt. But it gets pretty dicey. And what ends up happening is that we uh, kind of say, okay, let's just, we'll just make do with where they're going to let us hunt. And they pretty much just 
draw lines around all the good stuff and say y'all can hunt anywhere besides there. Yeah, which that's right. It's not cool. So it, it was that was one of our biggest struggles, and you can kind of watch to see how we navigate that. But we end up, um, you know, some circumstances, some twists happen. For instance, um, and we we noticed that a couple of things uh, on top of that were really really tough for us that we were having to overcome. And those things were difficult access and uh, to our places because, uh, all the corn was still in. Mm-hmm. Nobody had taken corn out. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it's funny because, uh, some of the farmers were out working on equipment and I went by and kind of like gave them a little cheerleading <laughs> session. Like, Hey, y'all got to get some of this done today. Yes. You know, like it didn't really tell them like all my motive completely, but I was like, yeah, y'all get her fixed. And you got this, this thing going. Oh, you're doing a great job, man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's what I do with my, my baseball team, man. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are man, you're you're doing great, even though you've thrown mostly balls. You're you know? trying real hard. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that was that was a tough thing, but also consequent consequentially, because the corn was in, the movement was super low, right? There's no bed to feed because the the bed is in the corn sometimes. Sometimes it's in the swamp. And so there's no like direct movement patterns. Everything's really random and there's not a whole lot of movement because when they can bed in the corn and eat in the corn there's not a whole lot going on uh, during the daylight. It wasn't, I mean, there was a couple of cold mornings, but we had pretty sunshiny weather afternoons. We're just, we weren't seeing anything. I mean, this was literally the worst hunt I've ever been on. Yeah, it's tough because we like to see deer and make adjustments according to what we observe, and we just didn't have the observations to be able to make moves. So we're just guessing the whole time. Yeah, but we ended up with some pretty awesome success yeah so talk about your setup a little bit we, there. we did um through the help of of our friend there who was one of the hunting parties who who had previous access and through the landowner they were like you know what y'all just go ahead and, and go where you want and then you know we'll have the rest of the season so thankful for that opportunity to be able to just have free reign for a little bit and it i mean absolutely was an integral part of the success mm-hmm. um we had some trail camera data of some some nice bucks in a corner that was pretty messy as far as, like, habitat goes, good deer stuff. You're kind of in a similar area where you were. Um, and then also, uh, young Michael, using his vitality and youthfulness, um, was uh, going to be filming Isaac doing some hunting. And Isaac had some family stuff going on and, and didn't hunt that morning. And so Michael went out and scouted for us, spots a giant buck uh, in this area. Uh, actually, I guess it was the evening. And then we went over the next morning and set up in the, in the area, kind of somewhat of an observation sit, see a small deer, pick out a tree for the evening from our observation point, and uh, set up pretty much on a transition point between corn slash food and just dense deer bedding. It also has a northern boundary of a big body of water. So it sets up pretty good knowing the camera information that mm-hmm. we have in there. There's kind of a target buck somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what we're calling him, but we ended up calling him Broke Beam because he broke off like about probably six inches of his main beam on one side. And he was like a big eight, I think, right? Yeah, I think he had an inside tine or something yeah. too. But he's a mainframe eight, and I think he's a lot bigger than we actually thought he was. Yeah, he is. Because the, the in-person footage... He looks ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And we also started to realize that these deer are way bigger than most of the deer we hunt. Mm-hmm. These northern Illinois deer are just ginormous. Big bodies. Big bodies. And and which so. means big heads, which <clears throat> means big 
antlers and antler width. It's strange. Like, dude, when you see a South Texas buck that's 20 inches wide, you think that thing is a Watusi. Mm-hmm. You know, like they – because they're, they're, their noggins are only about six or seven inches wide. Where you look at, like, an Illinois deer, it's like 10 inches from, like, outside of skull to outside of skull. It's crazy, Monsters. man. Yeah. They're, they're big. So, we we had started to finally kind of dial in on some stuff with Michael's help um, that maybe Swamp Nasties was, was also a good place to be mm-hmm. <clears throat> instead of these, like, corn edges. Um, and it definitely was. Uh, we ended up last night in a swamp. It's so, so quiet, dude. Eric and I went into a swamp where I'd sent Michael, we were kind of hunting this swamp from two different areas. I'd sent him to this big stand of trees to just get an observation sit that, I think that morning, Mm -hmm. right? And um, so this was the morning after he spotted the buck, you guys went in to hunt. And um, he saw deer moving past this lone landmark tree. It was a willow tree. And it was the only one that you could hunt in this entire swamp pretty much. Mm So Eric and I have to cross this canal in the swamp with, like hip waders we only have one pair and so uh we had to tie a a paracord to them i cross take them off uh got my boots in my bag put those boots on tie the paracord around these boots chunk them up he has to pull while i chunk we do a one two three because we want them to go across for sure you know Mm -hmm. and so i chunk them up and he pulls them across (laughs) and out of the air and you know, puts them on, crosses. We get up in the willow tree. We're making some noise. I don't have my release on. I'm getting a jacket on. Get it on. And Eric goes, there's a buck. I was like, oh, no. So I, Eagle eye got him. Dude. You got him, dude. <laughs> Look over. There's a buck standing at 90 that just ste- stepped out of his bed, had heard us, I'm sure, getting in that willow tree because there was no wind. And he's looking right at us. I'm like, take him. a nice buck, too. Long story short, nothing I could really do. I didn't have my release on, so I didn't want to call to him because if he came at me, I, you know, there was nothing I could do. I didn't have a release on, didn't have an arrow knock, nothing. So as soon as he turns around and walks back, I think he's going to go bed back in his little hole right there. So I put my release on real quick, knock an arrow, and get a grunt call. And by the time, by the time, what's, she's always trying to talk to us, man. Uh, <laughs> by the time I get called to, he ends up crossing the canal, like, down. He didn't bed where I thought he was going to. I see him crossing the canal, and I'm like, oh, no. So he's coming to get our wind. Comes through this huge willow thicket, and we hear him walk. Like, we thought we kept hearing something back here behind us. And for sure, like, confirmed it when he crossed another canal on the other side of us. And I could hear him walking through it. He got to like 20 yards, dude. I measured it on Onyx. The canal is like 20 yards from us. And I guess he either winded us or something and took off. And I never, didn't take off, but like he walked out of there. And I, then like 15 minutes later, I see him at like 120 yards walking away. I tried to rattle to him. Of course, he's privy at this point. Mm-hmm. So that was, my, that was my final evening. But he's a nice 10-point. And then you guys – kind of hunted a similar swampy situation there. it's a good evening man mm-hmm. it was like and it's also constantly moving closer to the rut so we had that's one of the great things about hunting late october is that it stinks until it doesn't yeah it's like <clears throat> bad 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 oh a little sun. oh wow deer going everywhere right mm-hmm. and it's kind of you pair that with like gaining some knowledge and making some good moves and all of a sudden you're on bucks mm-hmm. and um we kind of um went and set up on in a cottonwood which is Always a good place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, on the edge of a cornfield and a marsh that had water on the north. And so it was kind of a strange setup because you either had to set up to 
hunt the marsh and they'd be like eye level at the corn and couldn't see much or you could get high and be like 15 feet above the corn but you're like 30 feet above the marsh um and that's what i opted to do because i kind of like to be high in the tree when i have the opportunity i had good cover up there and everything a big split in the tree uh, for greg and i to be in the tree well not a lot's going on super still evening we're like we if anything moves we can hear it mm-hmm Nothing's moving too much. <laughs> uh, like early on, a doe smells us or something or sees us, I don't know, from the marsh, spooks out. And I'm thinking, well, that stinks. Um, and then we're watching the corn. There's birds moving around the corn, so you don't know if it's a deer or a bird yeah. or what's going on out there. So I'm like, Greg and I pretty much are zoned in two different directions. I'm zoned in on the corn, looking around, glassing around, trying to pick out an antler or anything because it's kind of grunt season at this point in time. Like mm-hmm. it's a good opportunity to call in a deer. And so I'm, if I can just see a buck, you know, I'm going to call at him. And uh, Greg's keeping an eye on the marsh side, and he says, John Buck, right behind us. Ah! You know, freaking <laughs> out all of a sudden. Uh, Greg <laughs> is a lot of fun to hunt with because he gets excited. Uh, and if you know Greg, he's not like, like – his, his normal tone is not very excited. He's a very relaxed guy. So when Greg gets excited, he gets you excited. He you loves know? some deer, honey. He <laughs> loves him some deer, dude. And so sure enough, I turn around slowly – and all pretty much in range, there's a deer at the edge of the water. Um, there's this canal that runs right behind us, and this deer's on the edge of this canal. And um, it's like, for sure, also, this is the last evening of our trip. We have to go home. And this is a for sure last day shooter, probably a first day shooter mm-hmm. on, on this trip. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this deer is going to walk up. He's acting like he's going to get a drink of water which he does, and I'm thinking he's going to, like, walk down the canal, give me a 20-yard chip shot, and this is going to be over, and this is going to be awesome. Well, this deer decides that he is a aquatic species of whitetail <laughs> and starts to cross the canal and goes right across it, or across. We're in northern Illinois. Yeah, he'd be yeah he is across it. Up there, um, yeah. Yeah, so. Across the creek. I mean, he, like, was a foot from swimming. I mean, he was deep in that water, and you can see it on the, on the footage. And, and then... He's starting to, I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe he's going to come to this side of the canal and then head south. Um, but, no, he continues to go on his trajectory. And I'm thinking, this deer's going to get out of our world. So I get out the grunt call. And this is, like, at the angle I cannot see. So I'm grunting at this deer, can't see him, and I'm getting cues from Greg on what the deer's doing and if I need to grunt more or not. And the deer... I had to cut out so much footage. I bet, dude. Because it had been boring. It was like a 20-minute clip, dude. It was the most exciting moments in my life that had been boring. It was boring on film. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It lasts so long. Like It's a really good daylight when the deer comes out. And by the time he turns around and decides to come to us, it's like fairly dark. It's not like late. I mean, there's still probably 15 minutes left to shoot light, but it's just, you know, it's getting dark in that evening. It's kind of crazy. And... The deer walks to finally in range, and I am just like in so much pain because I turn around to try to get a shot, and I'm like not at full draw, but I am uh, at that like five o'clock angle where it's just the hardest saddle shot of all, and I'm in a bad position at the five o'clock too. My tether's pretty long, so like I'm hanging out pretty far, which is not a pit position I like to be in. And I'm just like, my back is breaking. It is, it, And I finally tell Greg, I'm like, dude, I'm going to have to draw. 
and shoot at this deer. Like I just can't. I can't take this anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna end up moving, or my back's gonna spasm, and, and we're just gonna run him off. I go to adjust, kind of shift my weight so I could draw my bow, and my grunt call falls 28 feet down <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> Boom on the ground. And that's when you go to the Meat Eater uh, YouTube channel and watch the rest oh, of the video. Oh, man. It's, it's pretty good, I man. I hope you get him, man. I hope I, I do, hope too. I hope you get him. <laughs> I hope I do, too. Oh, it was, shark uh, attack. It was a crazy, crazy thing. Lots of water uh, involved with this thing. So, if you would, guys, we really appreciate the support. Go watch it on the Meat Eater channel. Watch it all the way through. Leave a comment. Tell us what you think about it. Um, and then just tell us what you've been liking about bug trucks and so far. And don't forget the spring sale. If you need to get some stuff, man, this is the time to do it because uh, they're giving some massive discounts, and it's a good time to get stuff uh, even though we're still a few months away. So with that, remember, this is your element. Live it. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.